In the words of Public Enemies Chuck D, bring the noise. Element Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this this is what's good. Welcome back, everybody. Hope everybody's had a good week so far. Start of January. It's well into January now. It's feeling a bit long, isn't it? It feels wrong already. I don't know why. It's probably because it's winter. You know, it just it just feels it just feels mad long. But hey, you know, life goes on. But yeah, I hope you're all doing well. I'm doing all right. That's, uh, as I said, just, uh, you know, just going through the motions. It's felt like, feeling like a long month, to be real, but hey, that's, that's how it goes. Things to go through, of course. Email, Twitter, IG, Facebook. It's all in the description below. There's no point going through them all every time, <laughs> but you, you, you lot know I have it. So, you know, if you want to talk about anything I'm talking about, you know, if you want to shut me down on anything or whatever... Actually, shout out to um, shout out to Tyler who actually hit me up uh, the other day talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. So, you know, like I said last week, I, I haven't seen it, and I didn't really think it was, you know, it was um, not worthy of like the awards it got the Golden Globes. But you know, it was, it was kind of like, hmm, that's that's interesting. I'm just, I'm wondering why it's considered better than the others. You know what I mean? But hey, you know, I haven't seen it, so I can't really say much about it. But yeah, big up. So, you know, if you want to hit up in any form or fashion to say whatever, I've got an opinion or whatever, let me know. So, yeah. But let's get on with the show. So, we got a, we got a stack show for today. we got a stack show this episode. I trust me on that. Uh, so, we're going to start with the film and TV segment. And we've got two we've got two award nominations uh, for, for this week. Two nominations that have come out in the past week. We have the BAFTAs, which is film and TV, and also got uh, music as well. And we'll get to that in a bit. But let's start with the BAFTA Film Awards 2019. Uh, BAFTA, in in its um, entirety, is probably one of my favourites in terms of you know just the actual, you know just overall pr- pr- overall package of it. You know the the show the show itself, watching it is bearable. Uh, it's no bones. It just it just uh, has a little. Um, they have like a nice supercut of it, of like all the films that have gone on the past year at the start. You know, they might have like a musical guest to help along with it as well. But you know, the host isn't really. You know, you talk about the Oscars and the Golden Globes and all that, and the, the American ones are like, oh, the host must be well thought out. You know, it must be great, it must be a, a great host and all that. But you know, most of the time when it comes to when it comes to BAFTAs, it doesn't really matter. You know, it, does, it really doesn't matter. You know, they they just basically introduce the people who are introducing the awards. They have a little, you know, they have a little um, scripted thing at the start of it. But then most of the time, it's just them just, you know, getting on with it. So as a whole package, BAFTAs is good uh, from a watching standpoint, from a consumption standpoint, and also from how they uh, dole out the awards. They're pretty, they're pretty consistent. They're probably the most, the one, the most consistent, I think, in terms of. Um, 
what they go for and who they give it to. Obviously, the Rising Star Award that I talked about last week is a uh, public vote, but the rest of them is obviously more um, uh, uh, done by BAFTA, obviously. So, yeah, I, th- I think f- in terms of who they nominate and who uh, who wins it, I think I think it's kind of consistent over the years. So, uh, big old BAFTA for that. So let's get into it. We're gonna st- actually let's start at the bottom actually with the um, not the not the the I don't want to say the lesser awards, but the lesser awards. <laughs> uh, shout out to Stephen Woolley. And Elizabeth Carlson getting the award for outstanding comp- contri- contribution to cine- British cinema. Li- this reason why I like Baptists is because they they emphasise British cinema. You know they have a couple of you know just the international awards and stuff like that, and you know awards that anybody can get into. But most of the time it's very you know British this, British that, and I respect that. So that's um that's a, uh, and I think um if they do the you know if they do the um, uh, say visual effects for example, if they do that in Britain, I think they you know lean more towards those kind of things as well so that's kind of a uh, so that's kind of a good thing in my in my eyes actually you know celebrating British film we should celebrate British film it's the BAFTAs uh, so British short animation I'm okay Martha and Roughhouse uh, British short film 73 Cows Bachelor Blue Door The Field Whale or Wale if you <laughs> it's not the rapper obviously uh, special visual effects I could, yeah I could say I could say, I could say this one uh, Finty War Black Panther Fantastic Beasts uh, First Man and Ready Player One that's a that's a strong list that's a strong list for in terms of special effects I think it's been um, it's been a strong year it's been a real strong year for special effects and uh, uh, just by them five they're all deserving to be fair so if you if you said for any five of them I'd be like yeah I can I, that makes sense so um, I don't really know who to go for personally I guess. Um, uh, Ready Play One look pretty clean from a visual effects standpoint. Probably go for that, or uh, maybe Infinity War. Yeah, one of those two. Black Panther, a nicer underdog pick. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, whoever wins that, it's a good shout. Honestly, it's a, it's a good, it's a good shout. Uh, sound, just sound. Uh, that's what another thing I like about the BAFTAs is just sound. You know, the Oscars do sound design and sounds uh, mixing. I think so. You know, it's kind. Of, Every year you have to ask like which is which, you know. So, um, so they just literally put sound. It's not best sound, just sound. Uh, Beam Rhapsody, First Man, Mission Impossible, Fallout, good shout. Uh, a Quiet Place, and also Star Is Born. Um, I don't really have any, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I I really focus on sound when it comes to films, unless it's like really, you know, really warrants it. Like he actually catches me. But most of the time, I just um, it's just there, so um, I, I can't really say uh, which one. Um, and again, when we're talking about sound, we're talking about the music as well. So you know, it's 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 a, it's a bit open ended. It's a bit open ended. Let's be real. Excuse me. Uh, makeup and hair. Behem Rhapsody, the favorite. Mary Queen of Scots, Stand and Ollie Vice. Mm, it'll probably be either Mary Queen of Scots or the favorite. I think. Um, I think with most films. Uh, most films are like that, you know, in terms of um, periods, costume and stuff like that. It's it, they usually just go for those uh, one of those. So yeah, I'll, I'm probably he'll probably be one of those. Uh, production design, good shout. Here we go. So Fantastic Beast, a favorite. First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. Hmm, so nice, uh, nice uh, random pick right there, Roma. Hmm, another one, another one you can. Um, Another one where, you know, you can go through all five and you can make a cage for all five. I'll probably say either Fantastic Beasts or Mary Poppins Returns. I can see those two winning. Um, the First Man possibly as well. It's a good shout. So, yeah, probably one of those three. Editing. Bohemian Rhapsody, the favourite. First Man, Roman Vice. Um, 
only problem with the BAFTAs, um, which I'm just finding, which I'm just realizing and kind of just thinking about actually um, throughout the years. Um, a lot of multiple nominations, you know, it's it's rarely spread out. You know, it's usually just like the same five, six, seven films usually just like get in and uh, get nominated. And it's just sometimes, sometimes I do wish the BAFTAs just were just a bit. Go on, stretch your neck out, stretch your neck out just a bit. You know, I know, I know we're going for the British thing, but you know. There are some films somewhere else, you know, you pick Roma for the, for some of the, a couple of these, you know, you stick your neck out for those, but you know, you can stick your neck out for a couple of American films, let's be real with us. You know, it's it's not it's it's not that you don't have to be that, you know, um, uptight about it. But anyway, Peeman Rhapsody editing, Peeman Rhapsody favourite first man Roma Vice. Ah, I have I have no idea to be real, so I'll, I'll probably continue on that. Costume design, ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, Beam Rhapsody again, favourite Mary Poppins Returns, Queen of Scots, yeah, um, same, same as, um, same as makeup and hair, kind of just, uh, other, you know, maybe Mary Poppins, I guess, but usually either the favourite or Mary Queen of Scots. Cinematography, this is a good shout, Bohemian Rhapsody, Cold War, the favourite first man, Roma, I, I, I think this is a no-brainer, uh, this is, this is Roma, I'm wondering why Bill Street, if Bill Street could talk isn't here, just a question on that one, on the cinematography front, um, I think that should be, should have been there, but hey, original music, Black Klansman, if Bill Street could talk, I, Dogs, Mary Poppins Returns, Star is Born, very, uh, random picks here, uh, well, not random, but very interesting picks, can, uh, compared to, like, the status quo, in terms of other awards, it's kind of, um, it's kind of different, actually, um, I think either Bill Street could talk. Uh, you could say Mary Poppins and stop. Well, it's going to be Star is Born. Let's be real. So it'll probably be that. Uh, adapted screenplay. Here we go. Black Klansman. Can you forgive me? First Man. If Bill Street could talk. Star is Born. No. Uh, easy pick for me personally. See if Bill Street could talk. Um, original screenplay. Uh, here we go again. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go into it again. Cold War. Favorite. Green Book. Roma and Vice. Um, yeah, uh, I'd say Roma, or Vice actually, Vice is a good shout, um, I think that's a good shout for it, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably go Roma personally. Animated film, Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Spider-Man, Into by Spider-Verse, I'll go Spider-Man. Documentary, this is good, this is a strong list, this one's strong. Free Solo, uh, The I think that's that climbing film on Nat Geo, yeah, I think, that, I think that's the last one I'm thinking of. Uh, McQueen, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old, and Three Identical Strangers. It's going to be They Shall Not Grow Old, isn't it? It's going to be. It has to be. British, you know, Peter Jackson, you know, re- re- restoring all the World War One footage. Yeah, that's that's, that's the one. <laughs> that's obviously going to be the one. Uh, film, not in the English language. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's Roma. It's going to be Roma. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. No point giving the rest. Outstanding debut by a British writer, director, or producer. I love this. I love this. Just this... I do, I do wish that um, other, you know, awards could give out, you know, very, not lo- very nationalised awards like this. You know, it's something that is very worthy, I think. Um, and, you know, sometimes the, per- sometimes the, you know, the winners don't become, you know, the biggest stars of all time, you know what I mean? But it's like, you know, compared to the Rising Star Award, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit lesser because, you know, it's a writer, director, producer, and, you know, most of the time, I say directors, I guess they they really get the bigger, you know. I don't want to say clout, but yeah, clout. Yeah, so um, uh, Daniel Coco, damn. Okay, let me just let me just let me just say this name in my head right quick. Okay, Coco Tajlo, Daniel Coco Tajlo for a apostasy. 
uh, writer and director for that. Beast, Michael Pierce, writer, director, and Lauren Dark, producer. Cambodian Spring, Chris Kelly, writer, director, and producer. Uh, Pili, Leanne Wellum, writer, director, and Sophie Harmon, producer. Ray and Liz, Richard Billingham, uh, oh, Richard Billingham, writer, director, and Jackie Davis, producer. So it's a stack list there, and obviously it gives them to a couple of people as well, so that's quite interesting. But yeah, that's a, a strong, well, strong list. In my, in my, in my mind, I don't really, I couldn't really say whether it's strong or not. I don't know why I'm saying it's strong because I don't know any of them. So <laughs> just being real with you, <laughs> keeping them hundred. Uh, Easy Rising Star Awards. Uh, we've done, we did that last week. But yeah, so I have a Cynthia Revo or a Letitia Wright. It's, it's, it's a lock for me. Uh, director. Very interesting list here. So we've got Spike Lee, Black Klansman, Pavel Pavlovsky, Pavel Kowski. Uh, Cold War, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, The Favourite, Afonso Cuaron, Cuaron, Roma, and Bradley Cooper, Star is Born. Very interesting list. Where's Ryan Coogler? Just a thought. Where's Ryan Coogler? Uh, I think he's, in all this, um, you know, uh, battle for um, the mainstream, the mainstream film, like, you know, Black Klansman, Star is Born, and Black Panther, I think, you know, Ryan Coogler has been just shunned through all of it shunned i'm just really surprised about that honestly really surprised about it um well um it's going to be alfonso coron so yes let's just be honest um i mean i mean you could say you could say any of the five to be fair actually not bradley could probably not uh but yeah the other four they're very artistic directors and yeah but uh, i think it'd be um uh, Alfonso Coron. I think he's just going to clean up for the for the whole for the whole award season. I think he's just going to clean up. Uh, supporting actress: Amy Adams, Vice, Claire Foy, First Man, Emma Stone, Favorite, Margot Robbie, Queen of Scars, Rachel Vice, Favorite. I'm not a fan of double nominations for a film in acting categories or in you know any category. To be honest, I feel like if you're going to double up, like giving Emma Stone and Rachel Vice in the you know both the same film, if you're going to do that. Add one more. Add one more, just so we have an equal, you know, footing. You know what I mean? Just, just add another supporting actress there. I know they they stick with five a lot. That might I mean they just stick with five and always five for most of the awards or, or three for a couple of them as well. So you know they don't div- they don't divert, which is respectable. But I feel like if you're gonna double up, if you're gonna give a film two chances at the cherry, I think you should add one more, just to be fair. I think that's just me, but um, I, I I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I respect Amy Adams most um, on the most of them, honestly. So I could, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess Amy Adams. Why not? I don't really, I don't really know to be honest. Uh, none of them from a distant perspective, from a distant lens. I, I've really seen them, you know, become. Nothing to shout, nothing that pulls me in. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. She's she's been she's been really liked throughout this whole process, throughout the whole award season. Yeah, yeah. So I've nothing to go, nothing to go uh, on this one. But on this point, actor, um, uh, I have I have uh, somewhere to go with it. Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Hershali Green Book, Christie Grant, Kenry, forgive me, Sam Rockwell, Vice, and Timothy Chalamet, uh, beautiful boy. I I mean, Hershali, my boy. Gotta go for him. Adam Driver was actually very good in Black Handsman. I'll give respect for that. Uh, but I think it'll probably be Mahershala. Yeah, just uh, just straight up, it'll be just Mahershala in it. Mahershala's the boy in it. Leading actress: Glenn Close, The Wife, Lady Gaga, Star Is Born, 
Melissa McCarthy, can you forgive me? Olivia Coleman, the favourite, and Violet Davis for Widows. There you go. And just while, and just when I was like starting to think, this is pretty white, but no, Violet Davis. Yeah, give me Violet Davis. She was great in that. She was great in Widows. Love her in Widows. Great film. A very underrated film, actually, in terms of like getting your award nominations. Super underrated. Super underrated. I think I think it's a bit of a travesty, honestly. I think that was one of the best films last year, but that's just me. Uh, leading actor. Brandy Cooper, Star is Born, Christian Bell, Vice, Rambo, Steve Coon, Sandy Lolly, and Vegan Morrison, Green Book. <sighs> Again, I want to see Stan Lolly. I said this last week, and I really want to see it, because I find the I find the film and the performances look very on point in terms of John C. Ryan and Steve Coogan. I think I think the chemistry looks it looks correct, and the vibe, of the the tone of the film looks perfect. So. Um, I hope, I'd like I'd like it if Steve Coon could get it. That'll be that'll be quite cool. It'll probably be Rami Malek if we're going with the if we're going with the um uh, with the awards hype. But yeah, outstanding British film. So we have best film and outstanding British film, which is um which is quite good. I like again. I like the fact that they can you know split into two. I, I like that. So outstanding British film. We got Beast, Beam Rhapsody, the favorite Steve uh, Steve McQueen, McQueen, <laughs> Stand and Ollie, and you were never really here. Uh, it'll probably be either Bohemian Rhapsody or The Favourite. Again, Stan is a good shout for me personally. But yeah, it's probably either Bohemian Rhapsody or The Favourite. And Best Film. Black Clansman, The Favourite, Green Book, Roma and A Star Is Born. Um, for me, either Roma or Black Clansman. It'll probably be Roma, but I would love it if Black Clansman got the shout. But it'll probably be Roma, so. But yeah, in terms of, um, in terms of strength of the, of the, um, with the BAFTA nominations, I mean, it's uh, there's there's a couple of awards there where I'm just, but I think you know, in terms of, in terms of people getting snubbed this year, in terms of you know all the awards, the whole, you know, widows as an overall film being snubbed for nearly everything other than Viola Davis in this case, uh, Black Panther is getting a lot of snubs in in terms of, in terms of the BAFTAs for sure, you know, I think. Across the board, it's pretty weak in terms of people going for things that are just uh, just Oscar bait or just awards bait. And I think they're really diving into all the awards are diving into that this year, and it's kind of a disappointment in some in some uh, in some way. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of what they've you know, nominated, I think they've nominated the you know the 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 right ones in terms of who's going to win i think they've you know pretty much cinched it for themselves uh, i think you know they, they've really gone you know there's always like two two or three one two or three that are just like a complete lock and then they give like two more just because you know just to fill out the fill out the ballot and that's fine i think in ter- yeah but in terms of like the ones that could be underdogs I think they did did not try at all in terms of they just went with the status quo and I think that's kind of a disappointment. I think they could have done way better in terms of like you know because when it comes to nominations, it's something that you know film uh, it's something that anyone in terms of like you know getting an award for something or getting the chance to be an award for something you know a, a nomination can mean a lot. So you know to give it to the same films, it's a bit it's a bit it's a bit lazy to be honest. So. um yeah, they could have done better on the nomination side, but then again, in terms of like giving out the actual awards, only one can win. They probably got it right on that on that case. So, yeah. So let's move on to the Brit Awards music uh, segment. Uh, you know, I've looked through the whole list, and in my mind, I, I can't, I can't possibly, I, I can't, I, you know, 
I haven't. Oh, full disclosure. I haven't listened to, I guess, as much British music as you know I probably should. Last year, you know, I listened to things here and there, um, but in terms of like, I don't know if it's me <laughs> looking at this list. I don't know if it's me being like, huh, I must have slept on a lot of people, or I, or maybe I just don't care enough, or yeah, just. I don't know if it's me or the Brits or just the whole music in- British music in- British music industry right now, but uh, someone's slacking. It's probably me, but uh, yeah, I don't make that decision for yourselves. If it's me being, if it's me being lazy or the Brits being lazy, because I'm seeing some awards here and I'm just like, really? Okay, sure, why not? That's a, I'm gonna. It's gonna be a lot. That's gonna be a lot. The the. That's going to be my response to a lot of these, so just a forewarning. Uh, so let's go backwards again. Uh, they also have, they have British Global Success Award and British Producer of the Year, but they don't give that out until, you know, they don't let it out until, you know, they actually let it out on the show, so it doesn't matter. Is, um, I, I actually, um, I don't know who's hosting it. I, I saw Jack Whitehall. Um, I, saw, I saw Jack Whitehall somewhere. I saw his name. So if he is hosting, there is no way in hell I'm watching it. I swear, the Brits, the Brits, like... They they make the they make a concerted effort for me not to watch it, you know. Brits are more like on the Oscar side where they just go through a ton of bullshit and they just have like you know they have James Corden a few years and I'm just like, and he's like kissing people and I'm just like, can we just get on with the awards and performances please? We, I don't need this. this. This is not necessary. I don't want him just kissing dudes. Like what the fuck is going on? Can we just get on with the performances please? But yeah, that's you know that's just because I hate James Corden. But um, and, <laughs> and to have Jack Whitehall potentially, um, yeah, there's no way in hell I'm watching that. I I, I find him insufferable. I find Jack Whitehall insufferable. I I can't do it. So yeah, if he is the host, yeah, I'm not watching this. Trust me on that. So you know, once we get into the winners list uh, in a few in whenever it whenever it's uh whenever the Brits is happening, do not expect me to talk about the actual you know. The, the show itself, because there's no way in hell. I might watch a few uh, performances on, you know, Twitter or YouTube or whatever, but yeah, I'm not watching the whole show. But anyway, let's get into this international group. Uh, we've got Brockhampton, the Carters. Is that is that a group? Is the Carters a group? See, this is, this is another thing. Group and duo. It's a different thing. You know, it is different. So, uh, you know, again, just me. Uh, yeah, Brockhampton, the Carters, first aid kit. I've never heard of first aid kit. I'm sorry. I've never heard of first aid kit. Uh, Nile Rogers and Sheik and 21 Pilots. I'd like it if Brockhampton won. That'd be really cool if Brockhampton won. That'd be so creased to have. I've, uh, you know, you know, Iridescence was a good album. It was an alright album. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, I can think of an international group better in terms of these, but, um, you know, at least they didn't put, like, you know, they didn't just shell out and just put Migos there just for, just because Migos, so, you know, that's, that's fine. It's, it's an right list, it's strong, I, I'll give them that. Uh, international Female Solo Artists, they do actually very well with the, with the International Awards, I think, the Brits, so respect them on that. So, International Female Solo Artists, Ariana Grande, Camille Cabello, uh, Cardi B, Christine and the Queens, and Janelle Monet. Uh, personally, I would go for Janelle Monet. It'll probably either be Ariana Grande or Cardi B, but I'll, I'd love it if Janelle Monáe won that. I think she deserves that. Um, international male solo artist. Mm. Okay. Drake, Eminem, Kamasi Washington. Wow. 
Now that, now that, that is a outsider. Woo! That is an outsider. Wow. Okay. That that that's that, that got me. That got me. Kamasi Washington. Wow. They actually got a jazz artist up in here. Respect. Respect. Respect for that. Okay. Kamasi Washington, Shawn Mendes, and Travis Scott. It's it's gonna be Drake and Eminem. I know I know it's gonna be Drake and Eminem, but the fact they put Kamasi Washington on here is very interesting. I'm wondering how the hell they got to that decision. That's amazing. I mean, I'm not knocking Kamasi Washington. Um, uh, his album uh, that was f- 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 a million hours long it was a, uh, um, you know, it was a good listen in terms of a jazz album. I guess um, I'm not one for long albums, but um, yeah, it's a, I got through it. So um, <laughs> with respect, respect that. I respect that. Um, yeah, British video and British single. <sighs> I'll go through them, but I do not care. I could not care less about British video. I will, I will and and probably British single as well. To be fair, so I'm I'm just saying, you know. Uh, yeah, British video, Emery, 2002, uh, Calvin House, Dua Lipa, One Kiss, Clean Bandit, Demi Lovato, Solo, Dua Lipa, I didn't give a F, Jax Jones, uh, Inra Rogden, and Breathe, Jonas Blue, Feet, Jack and Jack, and Jack. Th- their name is Jack and Jack, that is so weak, that is such a weak name, my god, alright, Rise, uh, Liam Payne, and Rita Ora, sorry, can we stop here, why is Rita Ora suddenly relevant again? Is Rita Ora that good? Is Rita Ora this good? I mean, like, you know, she, she had that, um... What was that song that, like, at the start of the decade? It was like R.I.P. when it had a tiny temper on it. That was that was a bop. That was a bop, I will admit. But she, I swear, she fell off the face of the earth and literally, like, last year just went, Hi, I'm doing music again. I'm like, is she this good? Like, she has so many nominations and it's a bit absurd in my eyes. Like, this is so poppy, it's crazy. Um... Yeah, this is uh, this is great. Uh, all right, Liam Payne, Rita for you, uh, for you. Little Mix, Nicki Minaj, woman like me, Rita Roar again. Let me love you and Rune Mental these days. I do not care. British single. What the? F- <laughs> it's nearly the same. It's nearly exactly the same. It's it, this is what's the point? It's nearly exactly the same. Like literally, they have Emery's song here, Calvin Harris, Shirley Park, Clean Bandit again. Literally, it's just the same four. Uh, no Jax Jones there, so we got George Ezra instead for Shotgun. Jess Glynn, I'll be there. Rams Barking, that's very... That's that's just like the quota pick, isn't it? Rams Barking. I, I mean, I get it. I love Rams Barking. It was a bang, it was a bang when it came out, let's be real. But, yeah, the, c- come on. <laughs> they ain't winning, is it? <laughs> let's be real. Rudimental these days. Now, that's the track. I would love for that to win, honestly. It's a good track. I actually enjoyed that. It was a good summer track. Uh, Cigarlo and Paloma Faith, Lada by Tom Walker, Leave Alone. But yeah, literally, the first four is just exactly the same. They didn't even. Bo- I know it's BBC, like, just um, putting it in, that's why I'm reading it. But yeah, it's just the same four, and then a couple more, a couple more different. Get some variety up in ya. Alright, Critics' Choice has already been sorted. Lewis, Capol- uh, Lewis Capaldi, Mahalia, and the winner was Sam Fender. I would have gone Mahalia in- instead, but hey. Uh, British Breakthrough Act. This is, this is strong. I like this. So we got LMA, Idols, Georgia Smith, Mabel, and Tom Walker. Uh, I'd go Georgia Smith. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if LMA won it. I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Walker won it, actually. So, um, yeah. Uh, but I'd go Georgia Smith. Uh, British Group. Uh, this is... Uh, okay, this is why I don't listen to British Groups anymore. Well, I actually never did. Uh, 1975, Art in Monkeys, Gorillas, Little Mix, Years and Years. I think, you know, British Groups and British 
you know, yeah, just British groups into in, uh, is super weak because literally Lil Mix and Gorillas can just drop an album every year and they'll just have a permanent residence in this awards category. You know, uh, Gorillas dropped the I think it's called the Now Now I think something like that, and you know it was it was alright. It, it wasn't it wasn't as good as Humans in my eyes, and yeah, it, it, it was just it was a bit of a it just it just seems like a it seemed like a humans um it just seems it seemed like a humans uh cutting room floor album you know what i mean so it was kind of passable but yeah literally british group music is so weak that little mix and gorillas can just drop an album all 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 four all five of these actually can just drop an album every year and just have permanent residence because there's nobody else uh yeah, that's, that's that's a bit it's a bit disappointing in terms of like British music in general. But yeah, I can't I can't do anything about it. So why am I, why I don't mind. It's not up to me to whinge about it. Uh, British male solo artist. Okay, this is this is a bit weak. Uh, Aphex Twin Craig David. Did Craig David drop something last year? Okay, I went I went straight under me. We'll we'll admit. Uh, George Ezra Gigs. Okay, interesting gigs and uh, Sam Smith. Okay, um, yeah, I have no f- dog in that fight. Um, I, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't continue on that. I can't predict anything seriously. Um, British female solo artist Amory, Florence and Machine, Jess Glynn, Georgia Smith, and Lily Allen. This is why Georgia Smith's going to win the breakthrough act because she's in the best female solo artist. So, um, again, I would go Georgia Smith. Uh, I would not be surprised if Emery or Florence and Machine won it. The only reason I'm saying that is because we get to the next one, which is the last one, the Jewel in the Crown, British Album of the Year. 1975, Brief Requirements on Our Relationships. No. Emery, speak your mind. I did not know. I did not know Emery dropped an album. I did not know Florence and Machine dropped an album. Highest Hope did not know. Well, I did, I, I did know about George Ezra, but I'm not listening to George Ezra. Uh, Staying at Tomorrow's and George Smith, Lost and Found. You know, Lost and Found is the only one I listen to, and I don't know if that's an indictment on me or British music, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a bit it's a bit peak it's a bit peak for me. Oh, not my microphone, my bad. Yeah, I'm now I'm trying to just a minor just um uh what's the word uh segue. I'm just I'm just looking at the albums I listened to last year, and I am realizing that I listened to barely any British music. <laughs> You know, I listened to, you know, it's Children's Zeus here. I mean, Children's Zeus was great. Bugs and Malone was great. Uh, Ocean Wisdom, hello. My album of the year, you know, could have thrown that in there. Octavian. Uh, Gets as well. You know, it's not like I didn't listen to anything. LMA, obviously. It's not like I didn't listen to Ray Black. Hello, come on. Ray Black, you missing on that? Um, yeah. It's a, it's a bit. I, I did listen. I I, I do. I, you know, I'm I'm I am saying to you, I have listened to British music. I do listen to British music, but in terms of like you know the mainstream pop, mainstream British music is, it's a bit it's a bit saturated for my liking. You know, so I'm not really. It's it's why I really don't listen to the radio anymore. In terms of just like, I'm just not a fan of the music going on right now. It's just like. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot of DJs and you know hosts that you know ride for some artists that I ride for, and that's respectable. But you know, at the end of the day, DJs 
and radio hosts are not the gatekeepers anymore, or they are, but they just don't have as much power as they used to. Um, and whether you consider that positive or negative is up to you, but, you know, I'm just, ugh, I just see some of them names, and, you know, I've heard some of their music, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not powerful enough, you know what I mean? Like, a couple of years ago, the Brits were, the Brit Awards were, nominations especially were just, like, super strong, it was a super strong list, um, but, like, now it's just a bit, I just think it's been a, it's probably been a, it's probably a blip. It's probably just been a lackluster year in, from how I see it. So that's probably just how it is. But yes, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's looking a bit weak in my mind. And I ain't watching it if Jack Whitehall's hosting it. Just want to reiterate that. So let's move on to sport. And I had a few things that I wanted to talk about. I could have talked about NBA London because uh, uh, i got an NBA game going on to, uh, I think it's tonight or tomorrow, sometime, sometime this week. Uh, so yeah, the, the I think the Knicks have arrived today, so probably tomorrow anyway. So um, yeah, it's quite cool. Uh, um, but I could have talked about that, but I felt like instead talking about Andy Murray, because obviously in the past week it's been the Australian Open down under. I haven't watched any of it because it's in Australia, and I don't have Sky Sports, so I'm not I'm not really, you know. I'm not waking up at 6am to listen, or not even now, I'm not even waking up, excuse me, I'm not waking up at 3, I'm not staying up anyway, to, on godly hours in the morning, just to listen on 5 Live to Australian Open coverage, no, it's not how, not how I roll, but, um, yeah, uh, Andy Murray obviously had a little press conference beforehand, before the tournament actually started, and he was, you know, very tearful, and he's obviously been through a lot, he's been about, uh, 30 months according to him of like hip issues he had a surgery in his hip as well and obviously he's back for Australian Open and I don't know where he is on Australian Open as, as of this recording but um it's it's obviously it's obviously the writing's on the wall I guess and he's practically already put that on put the writing on the wall uh, I think he sees himself either you know retiring after the Australian Open, or at maximum retiring after the season, probably after the US Open. Uh, most people see it as just a lot, one last hurrah in Wimbledon, get that standing O, and yeah, and then he walks off into the sunset, Where whether he wins it or not is obviously in the future, but yeah, I think that's how people see his career going now, it's just, uh, get to, just get to Wimbledon pretty much, and then just get the shower of love that he's going to get, the farewell tour I guess. Uh, if we're talking about from a basketball standpoint, um, so I wanted to read this article from the Guardian by Tim Lewis talking about the growing pains of Andy Murray have lasted for most of his career, and I just found it a very fascinating read, and I thought I'd read it to you guys because I don't really think that we understand how much Andy Murray's been through, and in turn, the reason why tennis pros, you know, across the across the spectrum respect this guy. You know, and the fact that he's been in the top four, you know, the big four, you know, probably probably the lesser of the four, you know, Roger Federer, Nadal, Djokovic and Murray. Obviously, you know, logically he is the lesser of the four, but considering the fact that he's won three majors and he has had the career that he's had, um, as I read this article uh, in a bit, it's really kind of a testament to how, you know, strong of a person he is, how strong-willed he is, and probably why he's so inspirational to a lot of people in tennis and people in sport, people in Britain and people in British sport in general. So let's get into it. So Tim Lewis, Guardian, uh, let's get into it. Uh, Andy Murray is in pain, just straight up, good sentence. 
that his right hip has been causing him profound physical discomfort for some time is no secret. In 2018, 31-year-old patched himself up for 12 matches, winning five. But what came became clear on Friday during a press conference in advance of the Australian Open is the emotional torment Murray has been enduring. Quote, excuse me, I've been in a lot of pain for probably 20 months now, he said with his voice cracking. I've pretty much done everything I could to get my hip feeling better. Excuse me. Uh, he hasn't helped loads. He pretty well conceded defeat for his first round match on Monday against the Spaniard Roberto Batista Agut, a player whom he has never previously surrendered a set. For a man who has built his game on fight, on bloody minded, indefatigue. What kind of word is that? Indefatigue. Indefatability. Indefatigue. <laughs> For a guy who writes for a living, I, I suck with words sometimes, you know. Indef fatigability. Indefatigability. That is that is not a word, surely. That's crazy. Okay, uh, this was almost as shocking as his tears. Injury seems to have ground, uh, ground Murray down uh, much as he is uh, worn out and disheartened so many opponents on the court. The truth is, though, that Murray has played through pain for much of his 14-year career, indeed even longer. It would be hard for him to remember a time when swinging a racket has been a simple joyful act. He was born with a bi- oh, What is up with these names? Bipartite patella. I probably butched that. Uh, a split kneecap that was first diagnosed when he was 16. Okay, now. Uh, quote, the expert delivered his final blow, recalls Judy Murray in her memoir, knowing the score. A casual, well, I'd be very surprised... I'd be very surprised if you'll ever be able to play tennis at a high level again. In that moment, on that sofa, I absolutely could have swung for him. Andy's face fell on hearing the news, dot, dot, dot. The dreams, the ambition, the hope, just draining for him, unquote. Murray defied that pro- uh, prognosis and his mother's belief that dealing with diversity back back then made him a stronger competitor. Age 18, he became the 2004 US Open Boys Champion. He joined the senior ranks, but immediately spent three months on him with back pain. He was still growing, but his bones, especially his spine, could not keep up with what he was asking from them. Murray certainly has pushed his body to the limit. He has had recurring problems with his ankles and back, and always an ambient humming from a, uh, from that congenital bipart patella. Bipartite, um, bipartite, Sorry, I'm just trying to... That's how I word things. I try and, like, say it. Uh, quote, When Andy bends his knee, notes Judy Murray, the bone looks like Kermit the Frog smiling. That is amazing imagery. Uh, he has tried various treatments, from strengthening the muscles around the joint to daily sessions with portable ultrasound, but it was always con- um, containment, not cure. In 2010, Murray acknowledged that pain was simply part of his life. Quote, My knee was just something I was born with, he said and I'm going to have to deal with it for the rest of my career. What impact must that have on an athlete, not only physically, but mentally? As armchair fans, we tend to think of sports injuries as clinical, sim- in a clinical, simplistic way. We read, he'll be out for six weeks, or she'll be back for Wimbledon, and I fully trust that re- rehabilitation will be a straightforward and predictable process. But it clearly isn't. The research and the anecdotal evidence all suggest that the mental scars can take even longer to heal, than the physical ones. A 2017 study of professional footballers who have been out with long-term injuries found that 99% quote reported experiencing some kind of physio- physio- psychological disruption. Unquote. 
This manifested itself into discombobulation, gambling addiction, even depression. So it's hardly surprising that Murray was tearful on Friday, and tennis, which runs 11 and a half months a year, with considerable travelling stress, is an especially attritional sport. Rafa Nadal plays many of his matches on basically one leg, and still usually wins. While Murray now hobbles between points like an old man getting up to turn on the kettle, even Roger Federer, impervious to injury for a decade, has been dogged by a knee and back and laterally, uh, and laterally a hand problem. In an IG post hugging his mum, Murray wrote that the response to his announcement made him feel, quote, more positive. There has been talk of another operation called hip resurfacing, a joint replacement effectively, and he has been checking in with Bob Bryan, the great doubles player, who has recently undergone the procedure and returns to the Australian Open with his twin Mike after missing most of 2018. Andre Agassi, in his autobiography, wrote unforgettably about, quote, the end. He was 36, but felt 96. He was a quasi-cripple, end quote. Uh, he also had been born with a condition. There is no way I can do this. this is such, that is such a long word. Mate, that's German. That must be German. <laughs> Alright, let's go through it together. Spondylolisthesis. Try and say that. Just read the article on the, on the fifth element, and uh, I'll, I'll put the link on there, and try and see if you can do it. <laughs> a defect on his vertebra, basically. That meant he should never really have been a professional athlete. But with the help of streaming, steaming hot shower and cortisone shots in brackets, uh, he could just keep about keep on keeping on. Please let this be over, he would think, as the warm water ran over him, and then I don't want it to be over. <clears throat> it's very fascinating, actually, just thinking about you know, uh, before before I was going to do this episode, obviously, like I try and do an itinerary every time, and you know, just try and you know, throughout the week, just try and find topics to do. And I was trying to, I was going to do, and I'll probably do this someday when there's nothing on, but hopefully not, because I don't, I don't want to be this bored and trivial. But um, uh, I was going to do a, on for the sports segment instead of uh, before this, I was going to. Uh, ask everyone what is objectively, because everybody everybody has their subjective opinion. Everyone likes whatever sport they like, but what is objectively the greatest sport? And it's obviously a very broad question, and I, you know, I made it a broad question, but you know, I think tennis is definitely it, like objectively has to be top three in terms of just like you know, entertainment. It's relatively entertaining most of the time. Um. Especially, you know, the, if it feels like a, if we like uh, set criteria and it, and it was like, okay, it's the final of this sport, you know, I think tennis is usually up there in terms of like entertainment wise. But even just from a sports person perspective, the things that tennis players go through on a regular basis is nothing close to superhuman. Well, is close to superhuman, you know. We talk about Serena Williams a lot. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> I do anyway because you know, fanboy over here. Um, in terms of just like what she can do as a human being is absolutely absurd. Like it's it's crazy. But you know, you can say that about a lot of tennis players. You know, especially and Andy Murray is probably one of, one of the bigger names where you can just look at him and go. Wow, he actually has been through a lot, and thinking about it, just um, you know, considering tennis is nearly a year-round sport, nearly, 
it's the closest to a year round sport. You know, obviously there are a lot of sports where you know they have a lot of they have breaks. They, well, they all have breaks. Cycling have breaks. They all have breaks. Um, but you know, just thinking about like I don't know, basketball have a few months off. Uh, football have a few months off. Can well. Apart from like you know international tournaments sometimes, but you know most of the time it's a few months off. So you know, and those are the two most two biggest sports in the world. And then you think of like tennis, which is so. I don't know if you guys have ever played tennis. I used to play tennis, um, not professionally or anything, but just like you know, just to play tennis, just with the guy with the boys, you know, um, get a tennis racket, knock it about. Um, it's very very. It can be very hard, like just playing tennis and. Playing that professionally is something I could not fathom. I can't fathom it. And, you know, there's a lot of sports where, you know, playing professionally, you can't fathom it. You know, that's the point of professional sports. You can't fathom it. But um, it's just it's just something that, looking at tennis, I think we take for granted how much tennis players in general just go through. It's actually crazy how much they go through. All the travelling, you know, all the tournaments they do. And, you know, most of the time they can... You know, they can pick and choose what they can do. You know, they can pick and choose their schedule, which is something, which is which is fine. It's cool, you know. It, it actually, it could, well, it probably doesn't offset the fact that the sport is nearly year-round. But you can, you, you can, you, you can, um, what's the word? You can pick your diet, I guess. You can pick, you can pick your sport diet, you know. You can pick your schedule. You can say, right, I'm going to go to Cincinnati for this. And then I'm going to go to... Uh, Dubai for this. I'm gonna go to this for the clay court season. I'm gonna go to this to. I'm gonna go to Queens to uh, brush up for Wimbledon. You know, they they do that a lot. You know, and they pick and choose, which is fine. And whether it offsets the fact that the sport is nearly 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 year round is up to is is a question for them. But I'm constantly in. I'm, you know, tennis isn't one of my favourite sports, but it's something that I like watching. I I very much enjoy watching Wimbledon. I sometimes watch the French Open now and again when it's on. I just pop it on if I'm on the, if I'm in front of the TV. So you know, I enjoy and I enjoy keeping up with it. But it's just um, it's just something objectively trying to think about is something I can't quite fathom of how much physical and therefore mental turmoil these lot go through. Um. It's it's kind of crazy to think about, and it it's probably more testament to how great Andy Murray is. Three times sports person of the year winning, uh, good. That makes me sleep. Not in my opinion, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but in terms of like being a you know British sports icon, I think it's worthy. You know, some you know some people go like, no, he's only won a couple majors. Roger Federer's won twenty. What are you saying? He's he's nothing, mate. He's nothing. You know, but. You lot celebrate. You lot celebrated Tim Henneman like he was god, and he he got to like one semi final. So, <laughs> so you know, I don't know where your high bar has gone all of a sudden, uh, has come come from all of a sudden. But considering that Murray's gone through this like literally since he was born, technically, like it's a bit it's, it's a bit crazy. And you know, considering the stuff that he's done and considering the stuff he can do after his career ended, I think he's got like a sports agency as well. I think he's got um uh recent uh. Shannon Hilton, um, world class runners as part of his uh, part of his agency, I think. Uh, if I if I if I follow the IG correctly, so um, yeah. In terms of like him retiring and stuff like that, I think he has a lot to fall back on, and that's fine. 
But, you know, in terms of, like, just his... Uh, the the will he has is absolutely crazy, and I think that's some that's something worth to be uh, something that's worth being remembered for, and supremely commended for. Uh, I think so. You know, big up Andy Murray. Uh, so yeah, last topic. Um, we're talking we're going to talk about Lef, and I caught this article a few days ago. Well, yeah, a few days ago. Well, literally yesterday, actually. Well, it's it's been updated since, but I've I've read it a few days ago. Um, it's called "London's Gangs Have Changed and It's Driving a Surge in Pitiless Violence." Um, I don't live in London. I was born there, but I moved to Essex when I was like six months old. So I'm not really, you know, in terms of being technical, I'm not a Londoner in any form fashion. Um, but I consider I consider myself to be a person that uh, you know I really every time I go to London I feel I, I it's like a it's like a good feeling I get every time I go there. You know, what I mean, it just feels it feel it feels right if, if if that makes any sense. But um, in saying that. I say I, I talk about this in the fact that I am not educated in the fact that I don't live in London. That is a severe crutch in terms of me talking about this subject in particular. Um, I can't. I I felt I felt like talking about the article itself and just reading it because I thought it was something worth reading, and it's also some always something worth worth talking about. What I can talk about and what I will talk about after this particular article is talking about how potentially hypothesizing how it has gone this bad. Um, so that's how I'm going to. That's just a forewarning of how I'm going to structure this because again, I have not lived in London since I was six months old. So. You know, I can't, I don't, I'm not ingrained in the, not the culture specifically, but the daily fears, the daily um, recognition of this stuff happening. You know, I don't get it daily. So uh, I think it's something, it's always something worth talking about. And I try to do that uh, as much as possible anyway. So let's get into it. Uh, this is by um, this is by Andrew Whitaker and James Densley, by the way, of the Guardian. Uh, the murder of fourteen-year-old Jaden Moody on Tuesday night highlights how youth violence continues to devastate the lives of young people, families, communities in London. Jaden's death marks a new low point as he is the youngest victim to die on London streets so far this year. Uh, yeah, and it's already twenty nineteen. It's <laughs> it's already January twenty nineteen. It's already got the record. Uh, we don't know whether Jaden was himself involved in gangs or is hit, or if his death was gang-related. All we know that he was struck by a vehicle while riding a moped, then chased by a group of three men and stabbed to death in what police believe, excuse me, was a targeted attack. However, Jaden was killed in Leighton, part of the, excuse me, part of the East London borough of Waltham Forest, where the threat of gangs, gangs and gang violence looms large. Last year, we published the results of a study looking at gangs in Waltham Forest. Uh, that provides some context for Jaden's murder. As one of the many, one of the many areas in London affected by rising youth violence, Waltham Forest has been at the forefront of gang interventions ever since the groundbreaking "Reluctant Gangster" study was published in 2007. We went back to see what, if anything, have changed since then. Uh, interviewing frontline services, practitioners, and young people. A decade ago, gangs in Waltham Forest were organised around postcode territories that young people defended from outsiders. Gang membership was a physical and emotional commitment, exhibited through gang colours, quote-unquote colours, and a real sense of local pride and 
uh, being visibly present on the street. Our research highlighted that gangs in Waltham Forest today view turf differently, less as symbolic, less as symbolic hallowed ground and more as a marketplace. Gangs are now more focused on profits, not postcodes. Two factors were responsible for this evolution, the ready availability of illicit drugs and the rise of social media. Gangs have come, uh, had come to reject outward signs of gang membership as, quote, bad for business because they attracted unwanted attention from law enforcement agencies. They instead grew up and moved on to develop lucrative county lines, quote-unquote, operations in new areas where they were unknown to police. County lines are predicated on exploitation of people, not places, leveraging young people's boredom, poverty, and lack of future prospects. Okay, before I continue, highlight that particular sentence. You know, not play, leveraging young people's boredom, poverty, and lack of future prospects, because that's basically the crux of my argument when I get down to it. Continuing, uh, gang elders cynically lure children into the drug trade with false promises of mo- more money and status that rarely materialise, then entrap them through debt bondage and other coercive means. County lines have been linked with an increase in stabbings involving known drug dealers as victims or suspects, partly because grievances in illicit drug markets cannot be settled through legal channels. At the same time, social media has further redrawn territorial boundaries by rendering the physical street inconsequential to the performance of gang membership. While some gangs avoid social media because it has a tendency to expose or backfire, brackets a problem gangs share with all Twitter users, Others have embraced it as a means of promoting their, quote, brand in the drugs game, uh, both inside and outside London. This, in turn, has changed how gang members spend their time, devoting hours to the creation of constant stream of content for their followers while monitoring the activities of friends, uh, gang members and enemies because of fear of missing out. Like celebrities, influence, and politicians, gang members face pressure to continue being, quote, the best by being the most talked about and outdoing themselves each time. Violence has long had a display, uh, long had a, quote, display value and has always been deployed as a means of achieving status on the streets. But on digital street, conflict is king. Digital stream quotes, by the way. Physical conflicts used to be temporarily and geographically limited. Now, perceived taunts and insults remain live and can be replayed indefinitely, as well as being seen by a large audience of friends and followers. This pressure to perform creates incentives to respond and retaliate, ultimately leading to an escalating prospect of real violence taking place. Our findings have implications for thinking about rising numbers of violent incidents in London. There were 132 homicides in 2018, the highest total to 2008. Put a pin in that one as well. Whether violence is gang-related is increasingly about protecting drug markets rather than the honour of the gang. Although gang-related violence appears to represent a minority share of the violence uh, we have seen in London this year, for the fact that gangs have moved indoors and online may mean that more violence is gang-related than is realised. Waltham Forest... Uh, wait, oh, sorry, I missed about a paragraph. Uh, most of the street gangs identified a decade ago have disappeared from streets of Waltham Forest, but the few remaining have evolved from street-oriented groups to business alliances with focus on controlling drug markets. Waltham Forest's uh, violence problem, like London's in general, is not exclusively a gang problem. However, being involved uh, in gangs significantly increases the likelihood of becoming either a victim or a perpetrator of violence. 
For this reason, we must do all we can to understand gangs and the young people embedded within them, not least because gangs are changing and these changes are driving the pitiless violence we are seeing on London streets. So, the things I take away from that is that I think the digitization of gangs in you know the uh in in that sense is very recent in my in my limited education um you know thinking about it like 10 years ago or even 5 years ago you know it was it was, it was kind of just how gangs have always been it's just like you know just people like you know sitting on the sitting on the walls just like doing nothing just looking hard you know loitering and you know, getting calls or whatever, you know, it's just, just how it is. But then, but now it's more refined, you know. They're calling it businesses now, you know. It's, it's kind of it's getting more smart, I guess. You know, it's, it's, it's they're they're using social media, you know, in a obviously in this case a negative light, and it's very fascinating to hear this actually. Um, I wanted to go back to one particular bit, which um, is something I can talk about. Uh, where is it? Oh, yeah. Leveraging young people's boredom, poverty, and lack of future prospects. I think in terms of, like, the young people... In terms of young people in in any city, honestly, obviously, you know, London's obviously the capital of the country, and, you know, that's, that's where most of the news outlets are, and, you know, that's where, you know, just the... That's just where news usually comes from. But obviously, in places like Glasgow and Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, I'm sure in Ed- I'm sure in Birmingham, I'm sure in a lot of other cities, this is the case as well, in terms of gang violence or just stabbings in general. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, the, I think the reason why young people are bored is because of you know, I have to. It has to be about. I think it's a very political problem in my eyes. Um, I feel like what we have done politically in the past 10 years, and obviously in the past two years, um, not even going into that bit, but in just terms of what we've attempted to do as a country, we have disenfranchised a lot of, a lot of young people. I'm saying we in the royal term, I haven't done shit. Um, I'm talking about the politicians in general, honestly, and the people, the adults, the so-called adults higher up, but, um, they have done a lot, they have done a lot to, you know, mess up children's lives and young people's lives, teenagers as well, taking away community centres, um, and then, and in turn taking away police, police numbers on the street, uh, it's kind of a melting pot, you know, it's, it's just basic math, if you take away community centres, if you take away things that uh, young people can do, you know, in their free time, which we don't really think about, actually, we think we, we you know, as a, as a youth, thinking about myself five, you know, five, eight years ago, I don't really, you don't actually realise how much, uh, how much time we actually had as young people, you know, after school, what did we do? You know, some people stayed in and played FIFA or, or whatever, and or listened to music or drew or you know whatever. But then again, in the flip side, some of them wanted to do stuff, and you know, some of them did vandalizing like kids do, or they did something more actual, 
genuine illegal shit and do and either do drugs, sell drugs, or be, get in a gang. That's what boredom does to you. You just do th- different things, and you know some people, some people take the boredom well, and some people take the boredom and do something negative. Um, when you when you when you take away opportunities for people for, for young people, what do you expect them to do? Honestly, you know, some of them, and it's only, I know, I know, like, you know, there's only a small few that actually go into gang life and stuff like that, but it's still a number, it's still a significant number, is it not? It's still a number that is a, a black spot on our culture right now, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening, um, so, you know, I think it's, I think this is all a, I think, I think, I personally think it stems and if we're talking about young people and doing all this stuff, I think it is a matter of um, our councils, our governments have been shitting on young people, to put it like, to put it simply. And I think it's it's bearing fruit now. And I think it's been something that has been has been happening for the past ten years, and finally it's bearing fruit as the decade ends. Um. As it pertains to like a solution or whatever, we'll just not revert, but listen. That's the first thing you have to listen. Like uh, parents can't do everything; they can't. Like you know, and especially in terms of money, the average salary rate has gone down f- by five hundred quid. It's going down, so parents have to work. Sometimes parents have to leave children at home, or allow them to come or have the trust in them that they will come back from school and go in their go in their home and stay home or bring some friends over and just like you know be be together and you know just um and not do dangerous shit they have to hold that trust in them and you know some kids can't 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 be trusted with that some kids can't be trusted with that some from from go and do negative shit and you know it's not it's not entirely on the kid it's just how the opportunities and how the cards have stacked up for them. That's basically what it is. It's it's cards. It's all it's all house of cards, and it's just how your life is stacked. If you live in Waltham Forest and you can't excuse me, put my phone down a bit too hard. If you're in Waltham Forest and you don't have uh, if you don't have any places to go, if you don't have a community center to do some karate like I did back in the day, or cooking, or Anything, painting, anything creative. If they don't have the opportunities of it, how are they going to do it? How can they explore? They can't explore. You're just putting them in a box, like go to school. Oh, you don't have a community centre. You don't have this. You don't have any opportunities. Then, shit out of luck. But, (sighs) yeah. I mean, I don't want to leave it on that much of a bum note, but I have to because I don't really have a, I don't really have anything to say other than that. Honestly, it's just, it's just how, it's just how it is now at the moment, and it's sad, but it is how it is, and now youths are dying because of it. Oh, it reminds me of that Dave lyric on Hangman: "Too many youths are dying, and I'm sick of it. I really am sick of it." But anyway, that's um, that's what's good for you. Uh, that's episode nine. I've enjoyed the episode. Uh, sorry, I left it on a bum note. I rather I don't like leaving show on a bum note, but I feel like it's um, 
I feel like it's imperative sometimes, you know, just to, you know, just bring it home and yeah, it's just how it is. Not no life ain't life ain't life ain't rosy. Uh, sometimes but yeah that's that's been the show hope you guys enjoyed it if you want to read the links uh, uh, i have uh, i have read out uh, they'll be on the fifth element uh, uk on the article uh, just to scroll down you'll find the links there uh, thanks for listening to the show obviously I'm, I'm i'm liking the listener numbers it's not it's not high but it's uh, it's something and i really do appreciate it if you can you know, share it or whatever. That's much appreciated. Um, I do appreciate the the steady growth that I'm getting, going through. Um, I'm not one for like looking up numbers, but um, I do sometimes look, and it's um, it's promising. So um, I, do, I do I do appreciate your listenership. So thank you for that. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I'll see I'll see you guys next week. Hope you guys have a good weekend and all that. Um, and yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll catch you on the on the on the next on the next week. Take it easy, then, gentlemen. Thanks for carrying on listening. Welcome to What's Good Extra Thoughts. Uh, two minutes and 51 seconds of me talking about stuff that I couldn't really put into a whole segment, but I just wanted to shout uh, shout it out be just, be, just because. And the uh, reason why it's in two minutes and 51 seconds is because that is the exact length of the song Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs. So without further ado, three, two, one. Let's get it. So let's talk about... Missy Elliott, inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, long time coming, and I think in terms of like you know Missy Elliott's legacy, I th- it's only you know some people are just like you know oh I've been I've been uh, I've, I've been talking about Missy Elliott's legacy for years, and I only think it's been in the past three to five years that we've actually been truly thinking about you know Missy Elliott's legacy. You know what she did in the 90s and 2000s has been actually groundbreaking. And looking at hip hop now, looking at pop music now, there's a lot of stuff that she really, you know, maybe not invented or anything, but um, made made artistic uh, made artistic jumps. And I think uh, she is very worthy of this particular uh, uh, this particular induction, Songwriters Hall of Fame. Amazing songwriter. You do. You, I don't think you guys understand how much good stuff she has done. Like, um, I could, I could go through a list, but um, I'd rather not. But because two minutes, one seconds. But I just wanted to shout Missy Elliott on that. Obviously, Jay Z was the first rapper to become inducted in 2017, and now Missy Elliott's the first female to, do, to get it as well. If we're talking about, you know, wish list, uh, we need Nas in there as well. Uh, who else do we need? Uh, we need some British artists in there as well. We need some, like Dizzy Rascal in there to be completely really Kano in there. Uh, what are the ones we need in there? Uh, in terms of like, oh, we need like, um, what do we need? Uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think. I, I should, I should have done this beforehand. <laughs> should have done this beforehand. Uh, Cormo D, uh, Big Daddy Kane, MC Light, Queen Latifah. Uh, fuck it, Q-Tip, you know, just, just people like that, you know, just a lot, of, there's a lot of hip-hop songwriters that should be on here, 
uh, in that Hall of Fame. And I don't think it should be for one a year. They should have like five a year because there's so many hip hop songwriters that have just absolutely bossed it. And uh, I think I think this, I think that Missy Elliott is especially worthy for this uh, for this induction. So salute to Missy Elliott for that. And the last thing I wanted to talk about, freaking. Bad Boys is back. Bad Boys is back. It's shooting. Bad Boys 3 is in shooting as we speak. It is coming. Finally, I am so hyped for it. I don't know why I'm very hyped for it. I just, I just love Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. I love them both and I really want a third one. And now we're getting the third one. I'm so happy for it. I'm so happy for it. But anyway, Bad Boys, Bad Boys. What are you going to do next episode next week? Coming to you. Deuces.